0: Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to continue along in our study. We've been studying for this, really since February of this year, the concept in the Bible of growing up. Growing up tells me I'm not where I need to be yet. But the word growing implies a process. And so we're all somewhere along in that process of, well, another word for growing is maturing, of maturing. We've talked in the very beginning that God loves us enough that when, he, when you called on the name of Christ and, and He came into your life and into your heart, He doesn't leave us where we were. Because His goal was not just to qualify you to get you to heaven, because if that were so, He would just take you out once you're saved, because that's the safest thing. But instead, what he began is a process of maturing you. And we've seen in Ephesians 4 that his blueprint, his goal, is literally to change you into his image. Amen. And what that means is that you walk like he walked, and you talk like he talked, and you think like he thought, and you do what he did. Yes, yes. And then we began to re- find, discover from God's word that his plan is not just for us to learn and grow and mature to do that individually but literally to come together and do that together because we discovered that we are His body on the earth. And we've spent time in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll end up back there again because that's the roadmap for where we're going uh, for this study. But what we're talking about now is in Ephesians chapter 4, we saw in verse 11 that Christ gave gifts to the church. And he lists those gifts in Ephesians 4 verse 11. They're the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist and the pastor and the teacher. And then we saw in verse 12 why they're given to the church. They're given to equip the saints. And we saw what that word "equip means is the word "equip" means to mend or make whole. So part of those gifts are to help for the Spirit of God to use those gifts to bring wholeness to us. Wholeness to us personally, because many of us come to Christ hurting. We all come to Him hurting in some measure, but some of us more so than others. Some of us hurting in our souls. Some of us were injured. Physically, some of us were injured. More importantly, emotionally and spiritually. And so we come to be mended and made whole, but the the mending and the wholeness is also for His body to be brought together and made whole. And then we saw that the other meaning of that word, basic meaning, is to equip. Give to you the equipment to do what you've been assigned to do. We saw that those ministry gifts are to equip the saints, and we've discovered in our study that the saints mean all of us. Once you're in Christ, you're a saint. doesn't mean you're acting saintly, but that's who you are. And so we're in the process of learning to act like who we've already been made to be. And so we see that those gifts were given to equip the saints, all of us, so that we could do the work. And then we discovered in verse 12 that what we've been assigned to do is work, which basically means to do something. So to simply spend our life worshiping God and and sitting in chairs and learning and growing is not to do the work of the ministry, not to do the work. We've been called to actually accomplish something for Him. We saw in the book of Revelation that Jesus sent a report card to seven churches, and when He did, He came and said, Have you been doing what I sent you to do? There's a word that just keeps jumping out at me in almost everything I read in the New Testament, and it's good works. We're not saved by good works but we're saved so that we can accomplish good works for Him. Yes, sir. So there's things we're assigned to do. And that's what we've begun to study because the next part of chat, verse 12 of Ephesians 4 says that, so that to do the, the, we're, um, a, those gifts are given to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And that's the word that we've been studying over the last few weeks. We saw that that word is diakonos, which literally means a table waiter which means to perform something that helps. And we, we took apart that and saw that a table waiter is someone that goes to the table and finds out what is it you need. And then they take your request that you need and they go into the kitchen and they tell it to the one who has the, has the food and has the skill to prepare what's needed. And then when it's ready, the table waiter takes the food that they didn't prepare and they didn't buy and they bring it and they serve it to the people that have need. And so we see that as the word ministry simply means to, to meet other people's needs with something you can't prepare. You and I don't have the answers. And we can have some answers. But you can't change someone's life. You can't fill the void in someone's life. You can talk to somebody, but you can't, you can't solve their problem. One of the things I had to learn early on as a minister is that, that I can't, You know, it was overwhelming to me at first until I realized I can't meet any people's needs. But I'm a table waiter. Amen. I can find the need and then I can go to the one who can. Amen. I can go and I can get the word. I can get the food that meets people's needs of their soul. And That's so what I'm doing this morning. Amen. I'm simply serving you. I'm serving you something that God's given to me. In some cases, He gives it to me on the spot. But the Bible talks about in the Old Testament... The children of Israel had to learn a lesson. We saw that a, number of, a lot earlier, not so much in this study. But in Deuteronomy, we saw in, in, in verse, chapter 8, uh, that Jesus said that I, you were, or Moses taught them. He says, God trained you and tested you in the wilderness because he wanted you to learn that man does not live by bread alone. And what's the bread he was referring to? The manna that came out of heaven. God fed them physically every day with food that he provided for them supernaturally. He satisfied their need, provided for their need, and he was trying to teach them to trust him every day that he would satisfy that need. And then Moses reg- realized that the r- the real lesson in that is that they were to learn that man does not live by that kind of bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we discover that the word of God is food to us. And then we see that Jesus in John chapter 6 said I am the bread. That's come down out of heaven, so He is the bread that satisfies our soul. He is the only one that can meet our needs, and so my job is to is to is to take that word and to serve it to you, so that His Spirit can anoint that word to your heart and meet your needs. Your needs are not just the what you're aware of, but often our needs are to prepare us for what is to come and prepare us for what we're called to do, and so that's what we're about this morning. Is we're about. I'm a table waiter. I take the food from the kitchen and bring it to you and serve it to you. It's your responsibility to eat it. It's your responsibility to digest it. And in the process, you can enjoy it. So that's what we're about. So that's what we've been discovering. And now what we began to do is that's what the word ministry means. It means to serve. It means to take something. It means to meet people's needs. And now we're over in, in Romans chapter 12 because here is a description of some of those gifts. And as we go through these gifts, we're not, don't, don't, don't focus on well. Where's my gift? We're gonna. The purpose of it is for to allow the Spirit of God to help you to identify it, so that you can begin to use it. And we're gonna start and go down some of these gifts right now. So again, in Romans chapter twelve, in Romans chapter twelve, we're gonna pick up in verse three, and then we're gonna pick up with the gifts that we left off with. For I say through the grace that was given to me. And we talked about the fact that grace essentially means that God is a gift. It means something has been given to you. And by the very essence of the word gift, it means you didn't earn it or pay for it. If you earned it or you paid for it, it's no longer a gift. It's something that you've paid for. And so, so you, you may go to the store and, and, and buy a gift, but it's not a gift if all you do is keep it. You paid for it so that you can turn and give it to somebody else. So the word gift implies that you didn't earn it. It was freely given to you. And obviously that applies to our salvation, but applies to everything that we receive from God because there's no way you can pay Him for anything. And He does not want us to so one of the ways Paul uses, refers to the word gift is he refers to it in terms of a, a gift that was given to him for the benefit of the body of Christ. So verse 3 says, I say through the grace or this gift that was given to me to everyone who is among you. We've talked about the fact that he's talking to all of us. Not to think more highly of himself than he ought to, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. And we've looked at Paul ties the gift that's been given to you together with a measure of faith that was given to you. And we've learned that that faith is given to you to operate the gift you look in Ephesians chapter 2, we discover that salvation is the same way. It is a grace that's given to us, but it's received and it's walked out by faith. So grace is God's gift that He gives to you. Faith is what allows us to receive it and to exercise it and to enjoy it and to walk it out. And that's true of the ministry gift, the service gift that God has given you, just as it's true of your salvation. So God has given to every one of us some gift to be used as a blessing to the body of Christ, to be used for Him to exercise through you, and He's given to you the faith that's needed to operate in that gift. And we talked about that before, so I'm not going to go back over that. For we verse 4 for as we have many members in one body and all members do not have the same function so we being many talking about part of his body are one body in Christ and individually we're members of one another so not only do we belong to him but we belong to each other verse 6 having then as a result of that gifts that he's given to us differing According to the grace that's given to us. So although we're one body, but we're different parts of that body. And as different parts, we have different functions. Just as your body has different members, different parts, and they have different functions. But it's still one body. He says in the same way God's given you gifts, and they differ according to the different purpose or function that they have in His body. So, we're not all teachers. We're not all preachers. That's just a different function. So, the differences that we have are simply differences of function. So, if one gift makes you more visible, obviously the gift that God's given to me as a pastor and as a teacher makes me more visible, but it doesn't make me more valuable. That's right. Come on. It makes me more visible but it doesn't make me more valuable. Mm -hmm. Because the difference is simply in function. My identity, who I am, comes from whom I belong to. I am part of His body. Just like your hand's identity, my hand's identity, it's John's right hand. It has a function that's more visible than the function of my little toe. But it's not more valuable to me than my little toe, because I wouldn't cut my little toe off for anything. Because it's my little toe. So it's just as valuable to me as my hand, because it's part of me. Now, my hand may serve a function that's more useful or valuable, but my hand is just as valuable to me as my little toe. You understand that? Because you're just as valuable to God as I am. Or as, as Billy Graham is. Your value to God is because you belong to Him. So he did this is so important because he did not choose you because of what you could do. He chose you because he loves you. And once he chose you and you received his call, you became part of his body. That's what makes you valuable to him. That's your identity. That's who you are. Now, as part of the body of Christ, I've been assigned a function. As part of the body of Christ, you've been assigned a function. But that function, that doesn't make you any less or more valuable than I am or Billy Graham or someone else. The function's different, but who you are is the same. You see that? Because we get confused. Because in our world, in our society, it has a different value system. In our society, your value is based on what you do and what you produce and what you have. That's how, we, that's how in the world system we assign value. What can you can do for me? Now that's so important because we're now in an age... Where our society is beginning to value you based on what can you do for the society? What can you contribute to the society? And here's the danger in that. That begins to exclude people that don't provide any obvious valuable contribution to our society such as the elderly and the really young. That's why we've developed a culture where we can sacrifice the lives of children before they breathe their first breath. Amen. Why can we do that? We can do that because we've they have no they are of less value to us in our society than the rights of that mother who conceived that child in her womb. Her rights are more valuable, even if her right is only being exercised for her convenience. Her right is more valuable to our society, let alone to her, but our society now recognizes this, than the life of that child in her womb because the life of that child isn't producing anything. In the same way, we can put people away and forget them because. What are they doing for us now? The danger is where do you start drawing those lines? Where do you start drawing those lines? When, 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 When resources begin to become short, do we get rid of the ones that don't produce so that we can keep the ones that do produce? Why? Because in our society, our value is based on what we can do not on who god's made us to be Mm -hmm. so we develop a political system we develop a philosophy we develop an approach on life which is based on what's the greatest value for the good as if it's an economic or 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 an accounting calculation and god looks at us as individuals he saves us as individuals he makes us part of his body your value is because god loves you and you're part of his body your function is is where our differences are. And so that's what this verse is teaching us. All right. And, and, and that principle is so important because what happens is we begin to... We begin to uh, we be, we're human. We gauge ourselves by one another. Well, I could never do that. I'm not very important to God. Why? Why are you not important to God? Well, because I don't do much. I don't have much to offer. You were important enough that he gave his own son's life in your place. That's how important you are to him. In other words, he wouldn't cut off you for his... Like I wouldn't cut off my little toe. Because you're part of him. You're part of him. That's who you are. Now, you have a function. But that's not who you are. That's your assignment. That's your calling. But that's not who you are. Who you are is a child of God. Who you are is part of... Of his body. Acts chapter 9, Paul on the way to Damascus to persecute parts of his body. Jesus arrested him on the road and stops him and speaks to him. And the words that Jesus speaks to him are so significant because what does Jesus say to him? He does not say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. But But that's just the head of the body. Part of the body was in Damascus. And Paul was on his way to take part of his body and throw it into jail. So the head of the body spoke to Paul and said, You're persecuting part of me. When someone does something to you, Jesus takes it personally because you're part of Him. When we do something to someone else in His body, He takes it personally because we're also doing it. And we're going to see that more clearly. Maybe not today, but next week. We're going to see this more clearly. All right. Verse 6. Having therefore gifts differing According to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then he starts going through some of them. This is not an exhaustive list. We're going to go through a number of these here and some other places. But it's a sampling. But the principle here is not on the gift, but on what you do with it. So the first thing he says is you must use the gift. And in the process of using it, he's going to tell us to use it according to the faith that's been given to you to operate that gift. And we've talked about the fact that the reason we're to operate it in the the faith that he's given to us is because there's two errors we can fall into. One is you begin to become confident in what you can do. Look what I've done. I have to work at that and be careful about that. Because when God uses you and God uses you in mighty ways, you've got to keep remembering God flowed through you. He's used a donkey before. And that was a, and there's another term I could have used that's more appropriate. It was a donkey before he spoke, and it was a donkey after he spoke, and it was a donkey while he spoke. He was just a vessel that God spoke through because the prophet was too hard-headed and hard-hearted to allow God to speak through him. So we need to use our faith to recognize it's not me, it's God working through me. On the other hand, we used to use faith because we because we look at ourselves and say, "Well, who am I that God would use me?" You're part of His body. In both cases, the error is I'm looking at me. That's right. Either I'm looking at me and says, "Whoa, look what I can do," or the other error is, "Look at me! I don't think I don't think I can really do anything." In both cases, the error is I'm looking at me and what I'm capable of. I'm looking at m- what I perceive are my own natural gifts. Instead of looking at the gift God's given to me and the faith that He's given to me to operate in that gift. So if prophecy, then prophesy. Now in each each one of these gifts, each one of these gifts, recognize that God is working through you. And we talked last time about the fact that you need to operate in faith if you're going to prophesy, because you're sp- saying I'm speaking for God. So that takes faith. But we've seen that there are men and people that have done that because they had the faith that God was actually speaking through them. Verse 7, then we saw, Or ministry, that's the same word diakonos, or service, let us use it in our serving one another, taking care of one another's needs. He who teaches in teaching. And all what teaching is is teaching is the ability to take something and explain it so someone else can understand it and apply it. In fact, the, the real test of, of, of a teacher's gift is to take something complex, understand the complexity, and then able to communicate it simply enough that a child can understand it and apply it. Amen. That takes a gift to do that. Yes. That takes a gift to do that. But it's so important. Because teaching, preaching is what inspires us to do things. It gets us up and moving. We want to go, yes, like Pastor Ray does. You know, the, you know whatever the dancing things he does. You know, but yeah, yeah. But what pre- preaching gets us moving and inspired. It gets our blood going. It inspires us. And we need that. But teaching is what allows me tomorrow morning to take what I heard on Sunday and do it. We need both of them. So teaching takes things, so I can now understand what that word says. Go home, and I can begin to apply it in my life because I now have an understanding of it. Now let's look at the next gift, because we touched on this, I think, for a service. And I've gone into these words and studied them. It's amazing what's in these words. Verse eight, and he who exhorts in exhortation, and I've kind of always assumed that that just meant you know like a cheerleader, but the. It's interesting, the, the Greek word for exhort here is parakleo or paraklete, not parakeet, that's a bird. But paraklete, that's the same word that's used in the Gospel of John 14:15 and 16 when Jesus said, I've not left you comfortless or alone, but I'm going to send to you another comforter. That is the word paraclete. It's the same word. And literally, if you break the word down, it means somebody who's been called alongside of you. It implies that you've been called along to give aid and assistance. Part of that aid and assistance is to bring comfort by being there. It's to bring some counsel or direction. It also implies to encourage, to lift up. In other words, whatever it is you need, they've been called alongside to help you go through what you're going through and get somewhere else. So one of the gifts that Christ has put in the church and in some of you, many of you, is the gift of exhorting. That means somebody who just kind of comes alongside, puts their arm around somebody, It says, come on, let's go. I'm here. What do you need? Sometimes it's just an arm around somebody. Sometimes it's just, nowadays we have all kinds of things. Last night I was getting ready to go to bed and my phone buzzes and I look down and there's a text message saying, just encourage you, love you, appreciate what you've done. It's like, that just lifted me up. Was I down in the pits and discouraged? No. But I felt just just lift it up that someone would care enough to just Communicate, you know, a few words. That's paracleo, coming alongside. I've been around other ministers, and they'll say things like, you know, boy, it's tough, you know, the people in church, they don't appreciate what you do for them. I said, our people do. Over and over again, people just speak words of encouragement and support. Words can do it. So what you'll find is, is there'll be something impressed in you. You know, I just, I just want to go shake hands with that person. That could be a gift. It certainly is. It certainly is. You don't know where that person is. I was in here Friday just praying, and, 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 and I just felt the Spirit of God says, there's some things I want you to do. He didn't speak to me that way. What I felt was a desire to, to encourage two particular people. Just to go, and, it, and I didn't get the word go encourage them. It was go, just ask them how they're doing. Talk to them. In the process, things came out and we just talked a little bit. And you know, what happened is I was in, that was coming alongside of them just to help us go through things, just to help us remind God's there. God's still there. So what you may just feel in yourself sometimes is you know what? I just I want to just go say hello to that person or call this person. Just feel a little desire to call somebody. Hey, that's a gift it certainly is see we're not looking for that's a part of the function of the body it's the body ministering to itself taking care of itself and, and and helping itself so it means to be called aside of someone alongside someone and kind of help them along through whatever they're going through it may involve giving them some counsel. Because in this case, Friday, I did. It may, call just, it may just be, you know, look, you're going to make it. I've been through something like that. You're going to make it. I've done it. It may be just, you know, I love you. I'm here. If you need something, call me. It may be something just, we think that's so simple, but it's vital. Have you, have you ever been in that spot? And somebody just reached out to you. You know how important that is. See, God's will is for all of us to get there. Because we're all part of his body. Just like you didn't leave part of you at home. You didn't, did you? Okay, you didn't leave your brain at home, did you? Okay, all right. Sometimes we wonder. Sometimes I wonder if I did. All right, we'll move on here. These are so rich. He who gives with liberality. Now, I've always, I never really studied that word until I was looking through these verses the other day. And I've always assumed giving means what it says, and it does. We're all called to give, because that's God's character and nature. But there are some that have a particular gift of giving. And I've always assumed it was primarily finances, And it is finances. But literally the word, I'll give you the Greek word, not that you're going to ever get tested on this, but I get excited about it, so just bear with me. The word is metadidomai. M-E-T-A-D-I-D-O-M-I. M-E-T-A-D-I-D-O-M-I. It literally means to give a share of. As distinct from just giving. For instance... (laughs) Uh, We were out shopping yesterday, and uh, the store we were in, the salesman came to me, and he said, we're we're trying to be more and more careful about what we eat because I want to be around for a while. I want to be for my wife, my family, and for you. And so the salesman was buying some electronic thing, and the guy, just a little cord, and the guy comes up to me and says, we're having a contest here. Would you like a Snickers bar? (laughs) Oh, I love Snickers. A lot, a lot of candy I don't get a Snickers. I, and I, I didn't understand. I said, sure. So I thought he was handing it to me. And everybody said, no. He said, I said, how much is it? He says, a dollar. He got all excited I do it. It's like it made his day that I would do this. Because there was some contest, I think, of who could sell the most Snickers bars. I don't know what it was. I didn't care. I had a Snickers bar. <laughs> so now we go through the line, and my wife's in another store. We get in the car, and i got to tell her i got a Snickers bar. So I can see she's been planning all day. So last night we were sitting out on our deck, you know, and I'm, we're just sitting there talking and just, you know. And I just said, I really like that Snickers bar. And we're sitting down there, and and she's looking at me, and I already decided I want to eat it. (laughs) And she's looking at me, and I can tell, I can read her mind, you know. And I said, she said, I'd really like a bite. (laughs) And I already had a bite, and so I said, okay. And as she's reaching forward, I'm kind of pulling it around. (laughs) I'm ashamed of myself. But what I did was... And see, there's an attitude there. And and although I literally did it, I didn't do it with this attitude. I didn't mean to use this as an example, but it really does work well. (laughs) It's to take some of what you have and share it with someone else. So giving is kind of impersonal. But when you take what's valuable to you and what someone else needs... And you share what you have with them. I'm, I'm learning this as we're going along right now. You're also sharing yourself with them because that means something to you. And and, and as you, and Paul says in several places, I didn't just come and teach you. I, am, I came with the purpose of imparting my very life to you. That's that same word. There are several churches, as you read through his letters, it's not like he was their teacher. He said in Colossians, he says, you've got many teachers, but not many fathers. A father doesn't just instruct, he gives of himself. That's where their life came from, literally. But he doesn't just stop there, he gives of himself, of his time, of his heart, of his caring, of his prayers. So this word, of, of, and this is a gift, of giving of yourself. And when you do that, what does it do? It creates a greater connection. Yes. When you share something with yes, somebody. Yes. Amen. Even if it's a sandwich or whatever it is, or something bigger. And you share of your time. And give of your time and of your talents to somebody else. That's what this word implies. But notice it says to do it liberally. Now, liberally is an interesting word. I've just always assumed that liberally meant you give a lot. But the word liberally is haplotes, H-A-P-L-O-T-E-S. And it means to give in simplicity and sincerity or singleness. Simplicity, sincerity, which means your motive is sincere. My motive last night was not of the greatest sincerity. I hate to have to share this with you, but it fits perfectly. So it's not just that, hey, I shared part of my Snickers bar with her, but I didn't share it liberally, especially when she, I'm pulling it out. <laughs> It means in sincerity, not with other motives, not with strings attached. Not, I'm giving this to you, but now you're going to owe me something. That's not liberally. That's not with sincerity. That's not really sharing. See, when you've really shared something with somebody, you've let it go. You don't even remember it. Oh, what I did for them. If you keep score in your mind... Or keep accounts in your mind, you didn't share it with them, you gave it to them. Because sharing your heart goes with it, with simplicity. Now it implies a generosity. But it's, see, liberally and generously is not just the amount, it's the heart that goes with it. And many times, people have done those things for me, or I've done them from other people, and that money's long gone. But the effect of their sharing their heart with me in a tangible way, or of my sharing my heart with them in a tangible way, that's still there. That memory and that connection is still there. So to give doesn't just mean well. You know, you you you've, you ever been in places where somebody comes up and put a bucket in front of you? You, you know, you give because you don't want to be embarrassed. You give because you're supposed to. That's not. This word. This word means I see a need. My heart's touched with it. And I want to share what I have with you. And in the process, I want to do it out of true sincerity. Because I care for you and what's happening to you. Let's look at another word. This is, this is the one I really wanted to get to. Because these are all kind of related to each other. He who leads, leads with diligence. Now, let's think about leads for a second. The word in Greek for leads means just that. It means to lead. But when you're leading, you're out in front. To lead, you do it from in front. Which means, I asked the Lord that one time when I was first discovering that I was to be the head of my family because I wasn't trained that way growing up. And many of us weren't. And I began to read my Bible and read some other books that explained to me that as the head, as the father, as the husband, I was part of my family, which meant I was responsible to God for it, and I was the leader. And so I went to God looking for this complicated dissertation on what leading means, and I said, God, what does it mean? I don't know. What does it mean to lead my family? It was real simple. He says, you do it first. I didn't want to hear that. I'd rather have a long dissertation that I could spend time studying, but he says, you do it First, that means you go out in front. Notice the 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 example the Bible uses. Another example of of Christ and the body is he refers to himself as the good shepherd. A shepherd leads his sheep. Now, have you ever seen cowboy movies where they have a cattle drive? Shepherds lead, cowboys drive. You drive cattle, you lead sheep. To drive cattle, you get behind them and make threatening noises to them. Crack the whip. You scare them, you alert them, you jolt them, and you need a bunch of them to kind of herd them in a general direction. But Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And then in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says to those that were leaders, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, so a, a a leader has to go in front and do it first and prepare the way. The word and the word to leader be in front literally means, is archaic in Greek, it means to cut a path in front to go in front to go away. You've seen the geese and the the birds when they fly south; they they fly in a V shape, and they do that because the one in front is is pushing through the air so that the ones behind them don't have the same effort to go through. And, of course, in their case, they alternate that role. And so it means to lead. Now, what you do is, it's interesting, how do you identify this gift among people? You, you, you watch what they do. See, the motive of a leader is to take care of the people and get them where they needed to get to. The greatest example of this in the Bible, I believe, other than Jesus himself, is Moses. God gave Moses the responsibility to take several million people somewhere they didn't want to go. They just didn't want to be where they were. All all they did, they didn't ask God to take them to the promised land. They asked God to get them out of Egypt. But God had a calling for their life and a purpose for their life, which is not just to get them out of Egypt, but to get them into a land He promised them. Moses' job was to lead them from the place they wanted to get out of into the place God wanted them to get to. That was his responsibility. And there were many cases where he was frustrated. There were many cases where they didn't want to go. And notice where Moses spent his time in those cases. He spent his time with God and not with the people. He didn't spend his time down with the people finding out where they were. He spent his time with God because God knew where they were. A shepherd needs to be in touch with his people enough to know where they are physically. But in touch with God enough to know where he wants to take them. And so a leader is someone who just leads. So you watch people around you. A situation develops. If you have a situation that suddenly develops and nobody's been assigned, watch what people do. Someone will take charge. Someone will take charge. Now, not everybody's a leader. You, there are different capacities. You're, if you're a father, you're a leader in your home, you may not be a leader in the church. You may be a leader in the church over some area. So it doesn't mean the leader's the pastor. You're just directing somebody. You're doing it first. You're the one that's out in front to get something done. So to lead, to lead with diligence. Diligence means you do it every day whether you feel like doing it or not. Diligence means I just keep it at it. I don't keep at it. Because I, I don't know about you, but when I, find when I first start something, there's an excitement. It's like, oh, wow, you got a new job. It's exciting. You know, and then you're there a couple of weeks and now it's not quite so exciting. Now it's work. <laughs> that word there again. And there is an aspect of ministry which is you get up in the morning. It's just like any other job. You do it. You do it because it needs to be done. So if your if you're calling is in with the nursery... And you don't feel like coming today, but you do it because you do it with diligence. And what we're going to learn is everything we do, we do as unto the Lord. I want to get into this next word because this is important. And the the next gift is he who shows mercy to do it with cheerfulness. The word mercy is Elios, E-L-E-O-S. And it literally means, it refers to the emotion that's aroused in you by seeing someone else's suffering that they didn't deserve. It's the emotion that's aroused in you, in your heart, by seeing suffering that someone else is going through that they did not deserve. So it's seeing someone else's need suffering and you identify with it the the closest word in english is empathy sympathy is i feel sorry for what you're going through because in my mind i imagine how terrible that was empathy is where i feel it myself there's a difference so i can be sympathetic and just sit still if i feel empathy i'm feeling what you're going through and it moves me to do something so one of the gifts that God has assigned to the church, or Christ is assigned to the church, is the gift of feeling someone's suffering along with them. To go through it with them. Now, notice how he says to do it it's with cheerfulness. See, none of these words are in here by accident. The word cheerful is Hilarotes, H-I-L-A-R-O-T-E-S, from which we get hilarious. And what that literally means is cheerful, but it means a bright eyes and a smiling face. It's an inner attitude. Now listen to why that's so important. Because what this gift is, someone who can come alongside of you and be touched with the feelings of your infirmity, of what you're going through, but do it in such a way that they don't start crying with you. Because when you're touched with someone else's infirmity and your emotions are stirred up, you're not going to be of any value to them if you end up down in the pits with them where they are. Instead, there's a purpose to this gift. You have an ability to sense and identify with someone and yet not be moved from where you are. So that your attitude, you're now bringing to them to help them through this or help them out of this. And it's a sensitivity you have. My wife has this sensitivity when it comes to the elderly, or as I get closer to that, the more mature. She feels where they are. I've walked into rooms with her and seeing people just, I mean, I look at them, my senses are going, whoa, there's nothing we can do here. (laughs) I mean, I walked into a room and there was a lady, that was sitting, they had her propped up in a chair, tied up because she'd fall out and she's living over like this and I don't want to gross anybody. They have a TV right in front of her and she's drooling down here, staring like this. I looked at that and said, bless you. (laughs) You know, it looked overwhelming to me. My wife looked at her, and a compassion rose in her. And I watched this happen. It's like she forgot who she was, and she didn't. She forgot what this woman looked like, and she was feeling what this woman was feeling. But and she went over and she took her. She got her name, spoke her name to her, and took her hand, face in her hands and just began to look into her eyes and talk to her. By the time you may know who she. Was. By the time she left, this woman was looking at my wife and smiling. Now, I know people in there are busy and they can't all do this. But my point is, the compassion in her was God's compassion for that woman. And we look at them and say, well, they don't have any value. They're too old. You know, there's nothing they can do. God looks at them and says, I love that person. Now, one of the things we're going to see is the people who God's heart moves towards more than anyone else are the helpless. Nothing doesn't love them anymore. He's, he, he feels their helplessness. And so we see here, there's a gift of compassion. There's a gift of compassion and caring for people, that, of, of, of just identifying with their suffering. And they be different. God pointed it in me, I, I see people that are homeless. I, just, I can drive down the street and out of the corner of my eye, I can see them. My heart gets moved. God builds in you a sensitivity, and that's part of that grace. So there's some people you're sensitive to, other people may look at it and say, well, I see it, but you say, I, but I see it. And it's different, because God's put in you a sensitivity. Well, that sensitivity is there for a reason that we'll talk about next week.